0: Today on Edge Effects.
1: One of the reasons that I love teaching about food, my favorite thing to teach about, is the way in which it links concerns about meaning and culture with concerns about politics and economics or political economy, with concerns about normative social justice.
0: We check in on the rapidly growing field of food studies with Edge Effects managing editor Rachel Boothby. I'm Brian Hamilton, and this is Edge Effects. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Brian. Well, Thanksgiving's around the corner. It sure is. (laughs) So food is on our minds, more than usual. And uh, I know we've got some great posts going up later this week and next on EdgeFX related to the holiday.
2: Yeah, we have a two-part piece featuring scholars sharing recipes they've come upon in the course of their research.
0: can't wait. Uh, And I thought another way to recognize the nation's preeminent food holiday would be to check in on the field of food studies. The other day, I realized to my horror, that it's been 10 years since The Omnivore's Dilemma, Michael Pollan's book, came out. And I remember that summer of 2006 as being the one where like everyone was talking about food, food systems, corn.
2: Absolutely, I remember that too.
0: <laughs> and not to give Pollan the credit, I'm sure food studies has a longer history and many, many antecedents, but it seems like this past decade has had to represent some sort of high watermark in, in kind of cultural food studies.
2: It does, it does. Food has been really trendy and popular, and it still is.
0: <laughs> okay, great. Uh, well, I'm hoping you could give us a quick sense of where food studies is at. And I'm turning to you, of course, because you are a food geographer. I am. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about your work?
2: Sure. I study the social geography of food in the U.S., which means I look at the ways our experiences of food in daily life connect to larger systems of food production and what that means for identity and social life.
0: So you're, you're linking eating to agriculture and processing and distribution and then linking those back to culture.
2: That's right. My master's research looked at the role of restaurants in the local food movement uh, and the ways that eating at farm-to-table restaurants shapes how people think about local food and then also how they think about the broader food system.
0: And now you're writing about pork, right?
2: That's right. I'm currently starting work on a dissertation that changes gears a bit to look at big agricultural systems to understand how the history of industrial hog processing has shaped the sort of consumer goods that we experience every day in our refrigerators, in our pantries, and even in our medicine cabinets.
0: I am really excited about that project. Now, you just came from hearing about a bunch of new food studies research, right?
2: That's right. Last week I had the chance to attend something called the Food Studies Network Faculty Research Forum, which was a Borghese-Mellon workshop that showcased artists, humanists, scientists, and social scientists who study food across the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus.
0: That sounds like a Motley crew.
2: The array of scholarship was incredible. There were scholars studying hunger and food insecurity right here in Madison, ancient rabbinical texts, the history of the National School Lunch Program, Japanese symbolism, and roles that universities can play in community-based food projects and markets. The diversity, I think, really points to the growth of this truly interdisciplinary field.
0: So out of all of that, what jumped out at you?
2: A few really compelling themes emerged. First, and I think probably most important, was that food studies is deeply concerned with understanding and addressing social justice. For instance, the first presenter, human ecologist Lydia Zapata, discussed food insecurity and what she called hiding hunger.
0: Hiding hunger? What does that mean?
2: She found that many of the people we see every day are food insecure. They're working hard, but they're still falling behind. Her research does a wonderful job of putting voices to those who are going hungry all around us, but are often too embarrassed or ashamed to be open about their situation, or even to use food pantries in some cases. And she's, I think, really humanizing these experiences.
0: I think you brought us a clip?
2: Yes. Here's one of the memorable stories that Peta
3: told. Um, another person that I talked to, a 21-year-old female who worked full-time. And her, she had lost her job, and her pay went from $13 an hour to $9 an hour. She worries about eviction, and many people mentioned that they worried about eviction. That their first, uh, the first bill that they pay is their the housing bill because they don't have any cash, and they can't, um, they have no place to move, um, and so even it is really hard for them to downsize because they have no cash to move to a cheaper place or buy a cheaper place. This woman did not turn her heat on the entire last winter, to save money, and for three weeks lived on bread, crackers, water, and milk here in Madison. She had an accident, two surgeries, and she had health insurance. And the second surgery was due to medical error, but she was still liable for the second surgery. She owed over $30,000, which was not covered by her insurance. And um, she was on a a, a contract with her health insurance to pay $60 a month. She had no idea how long that would take her to pay off, so I did the math. And even at a 1% interest rate, which, of course, you're not going to get. It would take her 55 years to pay off that medical bill.
0: It's it's striking how a discussion of food is really a discussion of the structure and cost of health insurance and housing, energy, credit.
2: That's exactly right. Food can't be analyzed in isolation from these larger social contexts. Another example of that was the cautions that Peta offered about how we talk about local food.
3: Um, I also want to mention they all talk, virtually everyone talked about fresh healthy food, organic food, local food, which, by the way, they could not afford and felt was like a social marker. Um, So when we talk about local food, be very cautious about talking about that, because it is really a way of delineating the the haves and the have-nots.
2: These sorts of identity markers and emotional experiences around food were echoed by others. Jewish studies scholar Jordan Rosenblum talked about the ways traditions around religious food restrictions in Judaism have changed and shaped identities over time.
4: The group that I studied is rabbinic Judaism, the who should we follow is actually, uh, it depends on your, if you are a member of the house of Hillel, you follow Hillel and you don't care about Shammai. If you're a member of the house of Shammai, you follow Shammai and you don't care about Hillel. And that variance was allowed, so people look today and say, oh, look at all these different groups and their different interpretations. That was in the ancient world as well. Uh, and. For a wonderful modern political example, um, the, there becomes a custom of, in, it, in all the 18 instances you follow um, Hillel, why do you follow Shammai in that? Is because one day, they took, the, things were often decided by uh, of voting, and the Shammai group looked around and realized there were more of them than Hillel that day, so they called a vote on 18 things. <laughs> so because of a procedural mistake, one day, right? Um, but. Even though that became a broader thing, that was still, there still was variance then. So who should we follow? It depends on who we is.
0: Ha! So these ancient culture-defining food rules that we think of as being quite literally set down in stone might be the result of the same sort of struggles and contingencies we're familiar with in our modern politics.
2: Sure, but that doesn't mean that we should think of them as any less powerful. Anthropologist Amigo Onuki Tierney made this case in her paper about how rice came to shape and define Japanese national identity.
5: Rice becoming beautiful, rice plants becoming our land, and all of that is not a natural process. There has been enormously uh, imp- uh, ways of... Uh, uh, making rice and rice patties uh, in terms of haiku and then uh, woodlock prints and and all of that uh, and and then it became the symbol for the collective self of the Japanese, but then I would emphasize the collective self is never really uh, coming out without the pressure from the other. And so, for example, rice itself became an enormously important issue when the West uh, came into the horizon. And so they had a long debate whether we should try to adopt the dairy industries and we should start eating meat in order to compete with the Westerners' body. Uh, And then can we just compete with the West on the rice diet and all of that
0: it takes a lot of cultural work then to turn a grain into the symbol of a nation. And that project can be sped up or maybe upended by international competition.
2: I think you're getting it.
0: <laughs> Great. I'm passing my food studies crash course. Barely. wait. <laughs> <Hey>, oh, <hey. laughs> so, so what other themes did you pick up on?
2: Well, a number of presenters explored the role that academics play in larger food movements and their relationship to community organizations outside the academy. For instance, Soil scientist Steve Ventura spoke of the ways that his community and regional food systems project tries to connect academic resources to community needs and desires.
6: This is a team of students that did a um, urban agriculture policy analysis in and around Milwaukee. The project included training uh, both through extension and through growing power. Uh, this is their commercial urban agriculture program uh, where, again, the university involvement Uh, in a sense, enhanced what they were uh, able to do, brought a little more science into the process. Um, A lot of what we did were, uh, in a sense, spontaneous projects that came up uh, as we listened to people in the communities where we were working. Uh, What we called community engagement projects. Uh, Sometimes these led to uh, related or spin-off projects. Uh, For example, Uh, We just looked at backyard gardening. One of the issues in backyard gardening is lead contaminated soils in urban areas. Uh, So this is a collaboration with the Medical College of Wisconsin and a couple of nonprofit organizations in Milwaukee to uh, make people more aware of that issue and on the science side to develop remediation and mitigation strategies.
2: And similarly, Alfonso Morales, a professor of urban and regional planning who studies farmer's markets, is bringing new tools to market managers to help them achieve their goals, even as these change over time. The
7: problems that managers have, have everything to do with how it is they interact with society. Uh, their principal purpose is to s- uh, sell food, right? They sell food grown in the, in the local area often, not always, but often. Uh, so, so what's the problem? Well, that purpose uh, is always, while it may be singular, is always taking place in changing contexts, changing regulatory context, changing expectations of society, changing uh, needs and goals that people have. So I, I said to myself, wow, you know, these market managers who are often volunteers, not always uh, trained in business. They they may need a tool, a toolkit for understanding their activities, for being able to uh, collect data on what they're up to, analyze it, and report on it, uh, report effectively interpretations of it that enable them to continue to achieve their purposes.
0: That sounds like the Wisconsin idea to me, that progressive era belief that the boundaries of a state university should extend to the boundaries of the state itself, that academic work should be in service of the people in the state.
2: Exactly. A century later, it's still kicking. And food studies is a field that's especially dedicated to advocacy and public-facing research.
0: It's funny how an intimate act like eating, which we often do alone, even has all these institutions and systems whirring and whizzing just out of view.
2: Right. But food studies doesn't neglect the intimate, personal ways that we experience food. Uh, I think folklorist Janet Gilmore really brought this point home in her discussion of the ways that her late mother's kitchen helped her make sense of her death.
8: My latest work is about my mother and about, uh, even though she's a woman, we could look at as uh, someone of privilege, having many of the same kinds of worries that the people who Lydia talked about earlier on in the, uh, in the first presentation had many of the same considerations in terms of asking anybody for help with her food, started relying on shelf-stable foods from Weimar, which was which she could drive to sort of sneakily without raising the you know, hackles of neighbors and friends and cops. And um, she would end up at home then with, um, uh, with these, these stocks that were reminiscent of depression food. And actually, in the, in the, in the book uh, Evicted, there is one character, Lamar, who guards his stock of canned foods in a, a locked cabinet. And that was what my mother's um, cabinets looked like when she died recently. Um, also, part of this was, was reading her kitchen after she died because all the food was out and I could kind of tell what time of day she had a, damn, a terrible disaster in her home. And I understood her I understood her, her own little micro food system well enough that I, 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 could, I could really come to uh, an understanding of The circumstances under which she did uh, die.
6: Wow.
0: The micro food system of a deceased parent. It's nothing I would have ever thought of, um, but it's suddenly so easy to picture, so tangible.
2: I think one of the most powerful lessons food studies has to offer is that our familiar individual relationships to food are really deeply linked to structural issues of politics and justice on a much broader scale. Sociologist Jane Collins, in her concluding remarks, I think put this really well.
1: And one of the reasons that I really love teaching about food, it's my favorite thing to teach about, is the way in which it links concerns about meaning and culture with concerns about politics and economics, or political economy, as I was saying, with concerns about normative social justice and how we define social justice. How we, so it combines um, intimacy of food or the lack of food in the, example that Lydia Zepeda gave us this morning, with studies of the power of food, the power by which we get or don't get food, with um, an understanding of community built around food.
0: Put like that, food study sounds like one of the most promising interdisciplinary pursuits. It not only cuts across fields of study, it cuts across time and space and scale. It links the individual to regional, political, cultural communities. Links production and consumption, and, um, and especially it unites kind of academic research with movements for social change.
2: Nice job. A plus.
0: <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> but seriously, thank you, Rachel, so much for taking the time to get us all caught up on food studies.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, Brian.
0: That was Rachel Boothby a Ph.D. candidate in the Department of Geography at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, reporting on the work of the Food Studies Network Berghese Melon Workshop put on by the Center for the Humanities in Madison, Wisconsin. To learn more about the Center's work, visit humanities.wisc.edu or find it on Twitter at UW Humanities. You've been listening to Edge Effects, a production of Che. The Center for Culture, History, and Environment in the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Today's episode was produced by me, Brian Hamilton, with special thanks to Laurie Beth Clark and Michael Peterson. The music you're hearing is by Julian Lynch. Look for a new episode in two weeks, or better yet, subscribe to the Edge Effects podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And if you like the show please leave us a rating and a review. As always, keep up with the steady flow of great content about environmental and cultural change across the full sweep of human history at EdgeEffects.net.